and then we'll be done with this. And then I'm going to give you one more thing next week on this, on this whole general idea, and then we're going to move on to something else. But um, uh, the first thing that, that Josh Tice, and, and, I, and I'm using his name because he is kind of the de facto leader of this neo-independent Baptist movement. That's what we would call it. It's not what they're calling it. They're calling it the new independent Baptist movement. Um, but they, he says they're obsessed with the gospel. And, and again, I know, like we said last week, it might sound a little bit picky, but you become obsessed with anything and you're going to end up in a ditch on one side of the road or the other. But uh, it's, it, uh, we, we have to uh, be all about the gospel, um, but they're not the only ones that are doing that, right? They're defining this new movement as if the old movement was not uh, worried about getting the message of the gospel out. And again, then he, he kind of re-said that again in the second point, which he said that they were committed to preaching the gospel. And the term that he used was that the old independent fundamental, fundamental Baptists are prostituting the Bible. And that can happen in whatever movement you choose to hang out with. So we have to guard against that, that beam that, uh, that you know, um, as they point out the moats, but ultimately what alarms me is a movement that's afraid to make application to the truth, and that's exactly what they're doing. They're afraid to make application to the truth because that would mean that they would have to preach these things that they don't want to preach, and um, we're not about that. We need to preach the gospel. We need to apply uh, the gospel. We need to preach the Bible. We need to apply the Bible. And then uh, we finished up last week by talking about the fact that he said they are men of unity who despise hyper-separatism which you could really define as saying men who don't like standards. That's really what it comes down to. And if you do, then you're, you know, you're a hyper-separatist and all of these other things. We talked a lot about that uh, because he said it doesn't matter if you, you know, get up on the stage and you're in a pair of jeans or a tie, or it doesn't matter if you decide to use hymns or contemporary Christian music. And it does matter. It does matter. And I'm not going to re, uh, re-preach or re-talk about everything that we talked about last week. So we're going to move on to the third thing, or, or the fourth thing that he said. Uh, and he said that they are turned off by denominational politics. And I think the simplest thing to say is, I too am turned off by denominational politics. Um, uh, it's not about how big my ministry is compared to yours. It's not about how, uh, you know, it's not about self-promotion or pastor worship. It's not about what school I went to versus what school you went to. Right? There's, there's good men. Uh, if, if God wanted every single person to go to the same school, there'd be one school in the United States. <laughs> right? There are other schools there for a reason. God, God had them and, 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 and good men that established colleges in different places and established different ministries in different places. Uh, there would be one church in the United States if God wanted everybody to go to that church. But he's got churches all over the place. He's got different things all over the place. So uh, I grew up at Fairhaven, and it was a good church with a good pastor, uh, Dr. Vogelin. I thought he was the most famous man in all of America. And then I started traveling and uh, on deputation. I, I traveled in the ensemble, and we came into churches who had never heard of him before. And I thought, what bubble are these people living in? Either they just got saved or they, they're living in some kind of bubble. But what I found out was... I was living in a bubble. There is a life outside of Fairhaven that I didn't know anything about, right? And, and nothing wrong with that as I'm growing up in it necessarily, but uh, I realized there was more to Christianity than Fairhaven. And just because you didn't go to Fairhaven doesn't mean that God can't use you. Just because you didn't go to Fairhaven and, and you don't do it exactly the way they do it doesn't mean that God can't bless your ministry, right? And I, and I think I had that mindset. You know, if, if you're not at Fairhaven, then you're in the wrong church, you know? And uh, God opened my eyes up to that to see, look, there's a lot of churches in a lot of places that are doing a lot of good things for the cause of Jesus Christ. But 
For the most part, my experience traveling in churches around this country over a period of probably about six years between traveling with the ensembles and, and uh, sing, in the singing group and in uh, deputation and all this stuff, uh, pastors young and old, there's a lot of good churches out there. Now, there's a lot of churches that are compromising. And I'll be honest with you, just in the seven or eight years since I've been here um, and, and uh, look, look, looking back at some of the churches that we were in, they've compromised since then. Uh, a lot of them I was in 15 or 20 years ago, and they've completely changed since then. So, you know, not all of them are, are sticking by the stuff. Not all of them are doing what's right. But to me, it seems that originally Josh Tice was, was praising the old IFB guys, uh, but then he started, you know, to subtly attack all of them, uh, you know, by only pointing out some of the worst case uh, scenarios in some of these churches. And I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of old independent fundamental Baptist churches who did a lot of things that were wrong that really hurt the cause of Christ. Just because you claim to be independent fundamental Baptist does not automatically make you right. Uh, and there are a lot of churches that cause a lot of harm to people. But those cases can be found in every group of people anywhere on the face of the planet. It's not only in the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Look at the, what the Catholic Church is dealing with. Right? I mean, they don't even have the truth, uh, but they're dealing with scandal amongst their priests. You, you go into some of these non-denominations. I mean, look at, look at Hillsong, right? The, the, the very well-known collapse of that whole thing. I mean, you have problems in any denomination. Um, but I felt, like, I felt like Josh Tice is, is calling people like me um, a non-gospel, non-textual, thieving, legalist who, ever, who only ever wants to get everybody to look like me because I claim to be a Bible believer uh, that does not look like him, right? And so, uh, it, I mean, that, that's kind of in that whole hyper, um, uh, hyper separatism label that he's putting on people. Um, but where I would disagree with him on this point is, is that to say that all IFB churches, and I, I don't even like the term IFB, but instead of saying independent fundamental Baptist every time, I'm going to use that for now. Um, but, but that all of those churches or even the majority of those churches have been that way and, and that only the new IFB churches are different. That's an unfair assessment. And, and honestly, it sounds very prideful for him to say that. There's a lot of good churches out there that are still doing, uh, that, that are still doing what's right. And the thing is, most of them are small, and that's why you don't hear about them. But all over this country, dotted all over the place, there are small churches that are still sticking by the word of God, that are still doing it the way that God says it needs to be done. And my father-in-law was a perfect example of that. He was in the ministry for, for about 50 years uh, as a pastor of an independent fundamental Baptist church that he actually took out of the Southern Baptist Church, or the Southern Baptist Convention. They realized pretty early on after he became a pastor of Gill Grove Baptist Church. Gill Grove was a Southern Baptist church. Well, it was actually started in 1843. He was the first full-time pastor that they had. Came in in 1974, part-time, and then they hired him and, and brought him in full-time in 1976. But uh, it was a Southern Baptist church, and he realized pretty early on that the Southern Baptists were not going in the right direction, so he pulled it out of the Southern Baptist Convention and became an independent Baptist church. And, um, you know, I, I realize that there's been a lot of man-following and pastor worship in certain churches, but I think it's unfair to say that that's characterized our movement in the past. Um, to be lumped in with some wacko who's a dictator in his church, you know, and everybody has to go to him before they buy a car or, you know, get a job or something like that, that's, you know, that does not characterize 
the, the average independent fundamental Baptist pastor. So uh, somehow saying that my standards are old-fashioned and that I'm causing division by living and talking and writing and preaching what I believe is biblical, uh, when isn't that exactly what he's doing in his article? Right? He's doing the exact same thing that he's accusing us of, um, and, that, that's, and that article has caused a lot of division itself. So don't just think that because you're a young, independent, fundamental Baptist pastor that you couldn't fall into to the pride of self-promotion through tweets and Facebook pages and Instagram posts and everything else. Uh, there's a lot of that that's going around. And, you know, they're using, these, they're using these platforms, which I'm not against somebody using a platform for, you know, uh, like Facebook or Instagram or some of these other things. Nothing wrong with using that as a platform. But they use this platform to try to tell everybody else what they're doing wrong to make themselves sound humble. But in actuality, what they're doing is just trying to build their own empire and try to get, trying to get a following behind them. And uh, I could give you names. And I'm, I mean, I'm thinking of people right now that I know who are exactly like that, who fit right into this category of this new, new or neo-independent Baptist movement who are literally uh, criticizing the older pastors that, that, whose churches they came out of, and they're doing exactly what they're criticizing these older pastors of doing, and that is just trying to gather a following. Now, it may not be that they're trying to amass you know, a massive church, but they are trying to get a massive following on Facebook and these other places, and how is it any different, right? May God judge all our motives and find them to be pure. That's what I have to say about being turned off by denominational politics. Every one of us is going to stand before God, and we're not going to be judged by what everybody you know, viewed on the outside or perceived on the outside. We're going to be judged by God himself who knows exactly what our motives are on the inside. May God judge our motives and find them to be pure. Number five, he said that they are dedicated to fiscal accountability. And again, here's one that I'm in complete agreement with. Um, a word to the wise, though, to think that because you might brand yourself as a new um, or an old independent fundamental Baptist preacher means that you're any safer from giving into temptation of fraud when it comes to money or being greedy um, or having financial improprieties in your church would be unwise. Um, but by the grace of God, we all live a life of character in this issue. The fact that fiscal accountability by a pastor hardly uh, makes him a, a, a neo or a new independent fundamental Baptist. There have been plenty of men over all these years that never got accused of stealing money out of the offering plate, right? Never got accused of, of financial uh, uh, misappropriation or something like that. Um, but I will say, that's a temptation uh, for anybody, really. I mean, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't even, I mean, you, you know, you have a, a, a giant wad of cash that you're dealing with. The temptation is always there to, to snag some of it, right? I mean, obviously by now, and, and being, um, being mature Christians, we ought to be able to say no to that, and it's not even really a temptation. But you make that happen by putting things in place to make it so that you're not even in a position to take it, right? Um, I don't handle any of the money in our church. Um, uh, my wife does all the budget. Josh and Brian do the counting. Sarah takes the money to the bank. It never touches my hands, and, and, and for good reason. I'm not tempted to steal the money. But I don't even want it to look like there is any possible way that I could get my hands on the money, right? And, and again, if, there's, if I know that there's no chance that, I, that there's any place where I can even grab it, then the temptation is not even there. So uh, financial accountability is absolutely important. And many ministries have been destroyed 
by people who have, who have uh, been financially unaccountable and financially, um, I mean, at the very least, uh, financially irresponsible at the very, you know, at the, at the worst, purposely stealing things and, and taking it from God's house. You, do you remember um, Joel Osteen? Remember, um, they had $660,000 that went missing. Do you remember that? It was like after an Easter service or something. $660,000 that just went missing. I mean, could you imagine? That's one Sunday's offering. You know, uh, and, and, uh, and I still don't know if they ever found out who actually took it, but they found that money. You know where they found it? They had a leak in their bathroom, and they had to take the wall apart, and they found all of that money in the wall in the bathroom. I have no idea how they got it in there or how they were planning to get it back out, but somebody snuck it in there, and, and uh, that's how they found it. They got all the money back. But uh, anyway, uh, just, just to make sure that we are dedicated to that fiscal accountability. But again, the fact that he is saying that, and this is what defines our movement, is essentially saying none of those old independent fundamental Baptists were fiscally accountable, right? And that's, that's just, it's false. It's false. Number six, he said that the new independent fundamental Baptists are well-read. And I should hope that no one would argue about being well-read in the scriptures, right? We all should be. Uh, now, I will say they're well-read in the wrong version of the scriptures. A lot of these guys are all turning away from the King James Bible, right? And, and I call it the King James Bible because it's not just a version of the Bible. It is the Bible, and things that are different cannot be the same, right? I just read an article today about the message uh, the message became a very, very popular Bible with a lot of these neo, not even independent fundamental Baptists, just the neo crowd, you know, uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these that you kind of see their names and faces and, you know, they're speaking in all these big national conferences and things like that. But, um, I mean, read through some of that message. It is, it is, uh, I mean, there's, and I'm not lying when I say this or, or exaggerating or stretching the truth. There's cursing in there, um, in, in the place where Peter um, uh, denied Christ, and they said that he vehemently denied it and everything else, and, and I think the Bible even says that he cursed uh, to, to make them say, you know, so that they would know. They put a curse word in there, uh, you know, as, as quoting Peter, you know, and all these people were just, oh, the message is such a wonderful version of the Bible. It's such a easy to read and blah, 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 and all this stuff. It is, it changes the Bible so much that it doesn't even say what the Bible says, but um, anyway, we should be well read in the scriptures. But on the other hand, I'm all for reading. I have a very large library. I have way too many books. Um, but I, I appreciate the counsel of older godly men to be careful what I read. Especially if you're a new Christian or if you're not very well grounded in what you believe, you, gotta, you, you have to be very careful who you read and what you read. Because very easily you will be swayed because a lot of these guys that write are very persuasive writers. That's why they're writing books. Um, and they can persuade you on any topic about anything. And if you don't know what you believe, then you can be very easily swayed on those things. If you don't know, well, what do you think about this? Come ask me. I, I'm, not, I'm, not the, uh, you know, I'm not the, uh, I'm not a library um, or a bookstore, but I, I do know who's good and who's not for the most part. And if I don't, I'll find out, um, you know, um, once you know what you believe, then there's nothing wrong with reading some of these books and finding out what other people are saying about it. So you know how, for, for me, so I know how better to, to oppose what they're preaching and teaching in a lot of instances. But 
And I'm not saying that you can't read something to see what the other side might say. You know, I mean, it's kind of the same thing as reading like CNN or something like that and just seeing what the liberals have to say about this topic or whatever else. And it kind of works the same way, um, you know, just to, to hear what the other side is saying. But um, I also realize that there will be, there most likely will be something about, uh, something that I disagree with in just about every book that I read. So I'm not reading the book saying, tell me what I need to know. I'm, I'm reading these books, and I'm, I'm comparing them with Scripture and making sure that what they're saying is, is correct. Now, there are certain authors that I've read enough of their stuff that I will trust anything they write for the most part. Um, and, you know, where I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out a topic for myself, um, and I'll go to them first because I know that they're going to have a solid view on that. Um, there's authors that are like that, and there's, author, uh, there's also authors who are pretty good on some things and terrible on other things. So you, you have to be very, very careful what you read. Um, I'm more fearful that this new independent fundamental Baptist movement is making a full-blown three-course of meal out of the reading material that the other side is producing. And that's what's happening. They've stopped reading all of these old men. They've stopped reading Spurgeon and Dale Moody and Andrew Murray and all of these, these, these men of God that wrote for a lot of years, and now all they're reading is the new stuff. When that's all your diet is, that's exactly what you're going to become, right? It's like somebody that eats nothing but carrots. Eventually, you start seeing their skin turn orange and everything else, right? And the same thing is true when it comes to this, this reading. If that's all you're, you're taking in, that's what you are going to become. And so you, you have to have a very fine balance, and, and balance in the Christian life is everything, right? Uh, a ditch on the other side is still a ditch. And so you have to be very, very careful. God warns us about entertaining vain philosophies. I had you turn to Colossians chapter 2, and I know that was a little bit ago, but if you're still there, verse number 8, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. But that verse is exactly what many of these new IFB churches and pastors are doing. They're being spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit. And what's happening is they're reading these mega church pastors who are writing books on how to build mega churches. And you know how you build a mega church? You compromise. You, you, you're soft on sin. You change your Bible version. You have contemporary music. You have all these things. So if that's what you're reading, well, what's, what is vain deceit talking about? Vain deceit is, hey, look what you can have. This is what we have, and this is exactly how we did it, and we did it in three weeks. <laughs> we went from zero to 900 in three weeks. And, and I'm, I mean, that's, I know it's, you know it's, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. I get emails from these places all the time. We went from zero to 200 on our first anniversary, and then we grew to 700 by our second anniversary. Here's how we did it, and all you have to do is pay $59, and we'll teach you how we did it, right? And people are like, oh, only $59. Let me see what they did. And now they're digesting all of that information from these neo-churches who are telling them everything that they have to do to try to get people in. And it's not about the gospel. It's all about what do I got to do to get people in, right? 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. 
from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. I'm, I'm, I'm young as, as ministers go. I'm only 40, and you, know, you talk about uh, you know, people who are 60 or 70 years old, been in the ministry for 50 years and whatever else. I'm young compared to a lot of those guys, but I've seen many pastors who have swerved away from the truth, and that's exactly what this neo-IFB movement is doing. They're swerving away from the truth. They're following after, like the Bible says there, turned aside unto vain jangling. And it's not charity out of a pure heart. It's not out of a good conscience. It's not out of faith unfeigned because of what kind of reading diet they adapted. And that's why it's very, very important that you're, that you're careful what you read. Careful what you read, careful who your friends are, careful who you listen to. That's, who, that's what you are going to become. You're going to become who your friends are, you're going to become what you read, and you're going to become what you listen to and what you watch. Here's this, the seventh thing and the last thing that they say is that we're just getting started. And it's like a couple of the other points that we talked about. I'm not sure how this point defines the new independent Baptist, right? What do you mean just getting started? I suppose I'll just have to be left wondering where this new independent Baptist movement is going, but it's been around for probably, I don't know, less than 10 years, but probably, probably the majority of 10 years now, I guess. And uh, already we can see the direction that it's going in. And it's not good. What they're producing and the product that is being put out of some of these colleges, especially, um, and, and the, the, the young men that are being produced in these churches, um, is, is, is troubling. Uh, and there's a certain look, right? You've got to have a floppy little mop of hair and, and shaved sides. You've got to have skinny jeans on that are tight at the ankles. That, that's what you have to be if, that's who you're, if you're going to be a, a, a modern pastor today, right? And, uh, I mean, I know clothes don't define everything. There's probably some good Christians mixed into that group, and I'm not, I'm not saying that all of them are bad Christians. But what I'm saying is their desire is not to be as much like Christ as they can be. Their desire is to be as much uh, and as well-liked as they can be so they can get the most people in that they can get in. The ends justify the means, and we'll do whatever we have to do to be able to get the gospel to somebody. And yes, we should be doing everything we can get to, to do to get the gospel to somebody. But God's going to bless it more when we do it His way versus trying to do it our way. And I'm not, uh, it's, it's not so much for me personally, even though I'm always learning. Um, but by God's grace, there are some things that are set in stone. We're not, we're not changing those things. But I'm more concerned about the upcoming generation. Um, the generation now, let's just say that we started changing things here. We changed the standards, and we changed the music, and we changed the Bible version, and most of the, most of the adults in this room are not going to go but so far. And, and me, as a pastor, if I start changing things, I'm only going to go so far. But you know who that affects in a dramatic way? The next generation. And what we allow in small doses, they are going to do in excess. And even though we might not be dramatically compromising, we're training another generation to be completely compromised because they don't even know what it used to be like to be a strong, independent, fundamental Baptist. All they know is this weak, you know, soft, neo-independent, fundamental Baptist, and then they take that and they take it a step farther, and they're going to train a generation that's not even saved if they're saved themselves. Um, so... One of these days, and, and these, especially these training institutions where our kids may possibly go and find a mate or get a diploma, 
But there, you know, I'm concerned about the next generation of preachers as well as the other preachers out there who are like I am but may feel the pressure to go this route, you know, because, because it's portrayed as the only kind, level-headed, scholarly, liberated, Bible-believing, you know, passionate, soul-conscious, accountable fellowship that, that's in, you know, that, that, the, uh, that, that type of independent fundamental Baptist can enjoy. So I pray that God allows me to be all of those things and know many other brothers who, who desire the same, but who do not desire to veer down that path. And it's a path, and you've got to start walking it to get there. It's not something that happens overnight. Because could you imagine if I came in here next Sunday, and I was uh, in a pair of jeans and a, and a T-shirt, and I got up here on Sunday morning? Could you imagine what you would think and probably what you would say Right, especially then if I combine that with you walked in and instead of a piano we had a drum set, and instead of these you know these nice lights and all this other stuff we had all these purple lights all over the stage and everything else. Most of you would probably walk out and say I went into the wrong place. What you know and make sure you're going to check the sign and make sure you walked into the right building, right? Because you don't do that in one giant leap. It's gradual changes that take place over five, ten, fifteen years. And then all of those people who are just being more and more brainwashed that this is okay and oh, I don't really like it, but whatever. And then eventually you get used to it to the point where, man, if you could see where you were 15 years ago and where you are now, you would be shocked. But because those changes happen so gradually, you're not shocked by it. And now you're training a new generation who that's not only are they not shocked by it, that's all they know. And they're just going to take that and run with it even further from there. And your pragmatism, your ends justify the means, is going to be a whole lot farther. They're going to take it a whole lot farther than you would ever take it. And you'll be shocked at what they allow, but you can't help it because that's exactly what you did. And you can't say anything about it because that's exactly what you did. I, I know we could have church growth. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, this, it's not equal to spiritual growth, but if we were to just preach truth and then not make any application to it. That's what, a lot of, that's what a lot of these churches are doing, right? Um, I know that we could ignore Bible-based Holy Spirit convictions to have more man-perceived results. But if I did that, I just happen to think that, that it would adversely affect the level of discipleship in my life and in the life, lives of all of those uh, that I have the leadership responsibility to. I know it's hard to carry a cross. No, it's unpopular to carry a cross. I know the cross is heavy sometimes, uh, and it's difficult to convince others to do that. I know that it'll cause you to look peculiar in the world's eyes. Real crosses are looked down upon, not just by the world, but by a lot of Christianity. Nobody wants to pick up their cross and carry their cross. And honestly, we're living in these pop culture, politically correct days, and what happens is when you get a soft church who is not used to, to any kind of hard preaching, you can't preach on things that go against pop culture. You can't preach against things that are socially unacceptable because you've got a whole church full of people who have socially accepted everything and who are nothing but pop culture, and the minute you say something about that, you're the one that's gone. They're not going to change it. They outnumber you by far, but you cultivated that. You brought all those people in, and you didn't bring them along, right? 
People who, who get saved now probably do have some of those pop culture ideas, right? They may be very on board with abortion or very okay with homosexuality. But the job of the church is not to be soft on those things. The job of the church is to teach them that those things are wrong. And here's why they're wrong. And this is what's right. And this is why it's right. And what I've found is that for the most part, people want to be led. They want to be fed. They want to know the truth. They're just, they just don't do it and they don't believe it because they've never heard it. You show it to me from the Bible and I'll believe it. That's what most people's mindset is. But if you never show it to them from the Bible, and then all of a sudden one day you're going to get up and preach these hard messages, they're, they're going to push back against it. You're in the minority at that point because you've trained them that way. And so it's, it's so important uh, that we make sure that we take a stand in these areas. And I also know that to change in some of these areas, this new group is encouraging pastors to change in would affect the well done that I want to hear God say when I get to heaven and when I stand before him. I'm not changing. And I hope you don't want to change on those things either. To adopt conformity to this world in my life and in the church would affect the outcome of my works after they pass through the judgment. When I stand before God someday, we're all going to go through the fire when we stand before God. The Bible says that every man's work will be tried by fire to see what sort it is. Everything that's wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned up. The only thing that's going to last is the things that are silver and gold, right? I'm not trying to say that I'm the only one carrying a cross. I'm not trying to say that Josh Tice is not a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to say that you have to have a dress standard or a music standard or anything but the grace of God to be saved. Still, only a sinner saved by grace, right? Um, even if I have those standards, but I'm not interested in comparing myself with others because of those standards, none of that. I'm really only speaking for myself and for the ones to whom God has called me to pastor, and God has called me to lead, and God's called you to be here or you wouldn't be here, right? I, I have said this many times, and I believe it as, as much as I did the first time I said it when we had 10 people here. God has people that he wants to be in this church, and I mean, we're doing everything we can to have people live, uh, help people live as closely to the word of God as we can. But I also understand that this is not the church that God wants every single person in the world in. Right? There's other good churches out there. And that might be where God wants somebody else to be plugged in. We want the people here that God wants to have here. But once you get here and you tell me that you believe God led you here, then you need to be willing to be led. You need to be willing to change what needs to be changed. You need to be willing to follow the word of God. You need to be willing to follow the pastor as I follow Christ. Right? And the moment that I move away from that, you either leave and go somewhere else, or you bring it to the attention and say, hey, I think we're getting off in this area. Right? So uh, I, God will reveal one day how all of us carried our crosses and to what level and to what length we are willing to carry those. God's, God's going to reveal, and it may not be far away, whether our works were pure or, and, and whether they were right. And I'll leave that up to him. I'm not fearful. And I'll be honest with you, as I was reading through some of these responses um, in this, you know, like the, he, this article that he wrote and reading some of those responses, that was a, was a word that he used a lot, fearful. I'm not intimidated um, to, try to, to try to change things or to try to not do these things for the cause of Jesus Christ. The only thing that I would comment on 
is the fact that he says we're just now inheriting the established pulpit. That's what he said in his article. We're just getting started. We're just now inheriting the established pulpit. Let's not throw away the foundation on which that inheritance was built. We have a rich history as independent Baptists. We have a rich history as Baptists. And it doesn't mean the same thing to call yourself a Baptist today that it used to mean. It doesn't mean the same thing to call yourself an independent fundamental Baptist today than what it used to mean. But there's a lot of men who gave a lot of blood and sweat and tears to hold that high. And just because a lot of people have perverted that does not mean that we need to try to change it. We're not taking Baptists off the sign. That's why we're not going to stop calling ourselves independent fundamental Baptists. Temptation is there because, again, it doesn't mean the same thing. It used to be that when you saw this was a Baptist church, you could go there for church on a vacation and you could trust it. You can't anymore. It used to be that if it said independent fundamental Baptist underneath the bap- you know, their name on their sign, that you could trust it and you could go in there and you would be fine. Now you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, so it doesn't mean the same thing that it, that it used to mean. But we can hold the line on what it used to mean, and we can continue doing what the Bible says we ought to do and continue living the way the Bible says we ought to live. Now, this is, a, this is kind of a long response, and I'm going to close with this, but Dr. Earl Jessup, uh, he was actually the founder of Baptist Church Planning Ministry. Uh, Jeremy Rowland is the director of that now, and they, they were a help to us when we were getting started. They, they gave us 25,000 John and Romans to help us pass out, and they had a lot of, a lot of knowledge um, that we needed. Uh, when they helped us get started. But when we first started that whole process, Dr. Earl Jessup was alive, and he was the director still. He got cancer, and he was kind of in the middle of that. I met him at a conference, and we, uh, we hit it off really well. And he uh, wouldn't say that he begged us to, to start a church with their ministry, but he really wanted us to, 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 part, he, he really wanted to partner with us and do that. And so we started that, but then he died. Um, but this article was actually written, I don't know, f- five, six years ago probably, and uh, and, and like I said, so many people that responded to it. But he actually wrote, I guess you would call an open letter. Um, and rather than try to paraphrase his words or uh, take little bits and pieces and give them to you as mine, I want to read what he said. He is essentially answering this, uh, this, this article that Josh Tice wrote. Here's what he said. I guess many would categorize me as the old IFB, likely because of what I believe and practice. However, that characterization would be mistaken. In fact, the majority of independent Baptists are not old IFB, nor are we the NIB, new independent Baptists. We are just men of God fulfilling the will of God in our lives with little interest in what the old or the new do or think. We are more interested in what God thinks. We're not, nor ever have been, part of a movement. We realize that Christ died for the church, and our responsibility is to Christ, to his word, and to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the lives of those to whom we minister. We find no place in the scripture where there should be any loyalty beyond the word of God in the local church. Let me explain. The word movement seemed to be prevalent in the posting and comments. Yes, there is a movement that has been called the IFB. This movement is just like the denominations of the SBC, the BBF, the GARBC, just to name a few. As denominations need leaders, movements need leaders. These leaders, because they are men, make mistakes, and in some cases fall. Even Moses fell in Numbers 20 when he struck the rock. David fell in 2 Samuel 11. Good men are still men. Now, there is a new movement called the NIB. This movement, our word for a denomination, will have its leaders, and these leaders are just men, and they will make mistakes, lead improperly, and some may fall. 
If history proves true, and it usually does, this movement will degenerate just like the previous ones have. It may be wise to forget the movement and just be the pastor God wants you to be. If you do, you'll follow many pastors who are just faithfully following the Lord and pastoring the people God has given them. They are letting men answer to God for their ministries, and they don't care about the old or the new. They care about their flock and their faithfulness to God. There's a word that is conspicuously missing from what I read in the post in the comments. It's the word balance. Balanced men don't need any leader or movement. They have Christ in his word. Thankfully, there are a majority of pastors in this country who are balanced in their ministries and quietly go about shepherding their flock, protecting them from those who have become biblically unbalanced in either direction. These men are more concerned about holiness, which is another word missing in the post, except for a negative mention early in the post. You see, balanced men don't harp on issues like dress. They preach on how God wants us to be holy and give him our best. It's not about specific, it's about principles. All churches have standards. I remember one preacher saying to me that his church didn't have any dress standards. I asked him if it was all right for a lady to wear a bikini to church. His answer was absolutely not. I then told him that he had standards, but they were just lower than mine. Balanced men have standards, and those standards are based on the Bible. For example, when the prodigal son came home, what did the father put on him? Luke 15, 22, bring forth the best robe. No, he didn't put on a suit, shirt, and tie. He put the best on him. This seems to be very simple. When meeting with the father, we ought to wear our best. Best is different in clothing, but the same in principle. Years ago, we were in a meeting back up in the mountains of West Virginia. My son said to a man dressed in a very neat coveralls, where's the pastor? The man replied, I'm the pastor, son. He was dressed in his best. Balanced men teach their people to look their best when coming to church. Why? Because God deserves our best, whether in Las Vegas, Kenya, or the mountains of West Virginia. Balanced men err on the side of holiness and modesty rather than on the side of unholiness and immodesty. Doesn't that make sense for every preacher? For balanced men, holiness and the character of God dictates our style of worship, the songs we sing, what we wear, etc. The Lord made it clear to the children of Israel to be careful about the worldly worship of those in the land of Canaan. He warned them several times about this. He gives a list of Bible verses. The result of their failure is found in Judges 2 and the remainder of the book. It's a sad ending for their failure. You mentioned an artificial list of holiness. Josh, God made a list of standards for the Old Testament priests in Leviticus 21. This list was for those serving the physical sacrifices in the tabernacle. If God expected the Old Testament priests to have certain standards, then you would surely agree that the New Testament priests who offer up spiritual sacrifices in 1 Peter chapter 2 should abide by certain standards. In fact, one can take the standards listed in Leviticus and correlate them to verses in the New Testament for us today. It is true, isn't it, that the Old Testament scriptures were written for our learning? But it says in Romans 15, balanced men have preached expository messages for years because some leaders who thought that everyone followed them, read a verse, closed their Bible, and ranted for 45 minutes doesn't mean that thousands of godly men across this country did the same. If that were the case, there wouldn't be good churches scattered throughout this land with good people in them serving the Lord and living holy lives. Remember, you are the third generation, not the second. The second old followed men who gave up so much to become independent Baptists. These were men who lost their churches, their friends, and many times their financial security. They left the Southern Baptist Church to begin churches without any ties to the denominational structure. However, they brought with them remnants of the denomination. They still remain with us today. They started fellowships and associations thinking that these would be needed to hold them together. These became the movements, the camps, the denominations of the IFB. 
are still with us today. And the old IFB developed these movements with their leaders, and these leaders and followers separated from anyone who disagreed with them. This is what you are decrying, and you should. However, if you're not careful, you will fall into the same scenario. You are labeling a new movement called the NIB. This will follow the same track as before, and the things you are decrying now will, become, will come back to haunt you. One day, there will likely be an NNIB, which will stand for the new New Independent Baptist. These young preachers will criticize you for your failures. Yes, you will have them. And start the process all over again. Who knows what source of media they'll have. Wouldn't it be better to simply have the movement to the Holy Spirit in our churches rather than some man-made title for unbalanced men to follow? There have been good, godly, balanced, independent Baptists down through the years that have done this. We need no old IFB leaders, and we need no new, new independent Baptist leaders. We need God and our attention to his holiness and character and nothing else. The denominational politics you mentioned is exactly what I'm talking about. As the IFB tried to dictate philosophy and standards, now there is the NIB, and this new denomination is going to do the same. Balanced men don't need nor want you or anyone else to lead them. They have a leader who is the chief shepherd. These men didn't listen to the IFB, and they aren't going to listen to the NIB. Yes, there will be those who follow this new movement, just as there have been men who followed the old movement. Thankfully, most won't. They're too busy studying the scriptures and caring for their flock to be on the internet reading and writing about such things. Yes, there have been men, some leaders and some followers, who mismanage their finances, and there will be others, even in the new independent Baptist. Why? Because men are wicked flesh and like the power that comes with the pulpit, and like the power that comes with the pulpit. However, they are and will be a minority. Thankfully, the majority of pastors are faithfully leading their flocks, not lording over them. These men understand they are answerable to God, and he will bring into light that which is done in darkness. They're faithful men who sadly have been overshadowed but those who have get, by those who have gained the headlines because of their pride and arrogance. Josh, surely you don't believe that the NIB are the first ones to be well-read. I really don't think that is what you intended, but it came across that way. Look at the ministries of men who are balanced in their ministries. These men have spent time in the Word of God and studying the wisdom of men of the past. Their libraries are filled with volumes and volumes of books to prepare them for the pulpit. They prepared for Sunday by hours of study. Sadly, men of the NIB... Many of the NIB are spending their time on the internet with some getting their messages from Sermon Central or some other internet source and getting up on Sunday and preaching warmed over truth that someone else got from God. Yes, you are just getting started, but in fact, you're not. It was started for you by many who sacrificed more than you will ever know. They fought the fights so you don't have to fight them. You've been given a great heritage and one that you should not take for granted. Yes, men failed, and there will be failures in the NIB too. Anytime men are involved in ministry, there will be failures. Anytime men follow leaders rather than Christ and his word, there will be men who fail. They always have, and they always will. Sadly, unbalanced, unbiblical men chose to cover those failures rather than facing them biblically. Hopefully, the NIB will learn from their error. May I encourage you to be faithful to his word and not some philosophy or ideas of men. They always produce failure. There's another word that seemed to be prevalent in your post in the comments. It's the word preference. Maybe I'm wrong. There seems to be a major emphasis on this word when, re when relating to the NIB. Could we possibly be looking at this from the wrong perspective? We seem to be looking at it from our preference and what each person would prefer, thus giving them liberty to do as they see fit. Maybe we should look at this from God's perspective. What does God prefer? Would he prefer our best dress or casual dress for worship? Would he prefer modesty or immodesty? Would he prefer music that has nothing to do with the world or music that has a worldly connotation? Maybe it would be best if we started to look at it a bit differently. It may make a difference in our worship style, our dress, and our walk with the Lord if we begin to seek what God prefers. 
I also noticed that the word fundamental is missing. Maybe you should consider N-I-F-B. Sadly, the old missed, not the word, but the truth of the word. It's not just the word, but the truths behind it that are important. As time progressed, the IFB got sidetracked by side issues for getting the fundamentals and where they came from. If you chose to eliminate the fundamentals, you too will end up where they ended up. Fundamentals are simply the basics. If you ignore the basics of our faith, you too will fail. All you need to do is ask any manager of any team what happens when they get away from the fundamentals of the game they manage or coach. They'll tell you that any team not concentrating on the fundamentals will end up in last place. While some of the outspoken leaders of the camps and movements and denominations got away from the fundamentals, good, balanced men of every decade didn't. They quietly stood true to the fundamentals of the Scripture without influence from anyone. Josh, I want you to know I want you to be as successful in your ministry as you can be. Your success will not be based on how many you have or how many you influence. It will be based on how we faithfully follow the Word of God. I encourage you to be a balanced preacher. If you do, you'll follow in the steps of many godly preachers who have gone before you. They're not the old IFB. They're not the NIB. They're balanced preachers holding forth the truth to the flocks God has given them. They're waiting for the chief shepherd to appear when they shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Great article. And I know it's long, but man, it's so well written. We have a lot to fight for. We really do. We've been given so much and so many people that, that have stood for the truth for so many years, they just get swept under the rug as if they never did it by this new independent Baptist movement. But we have to do it with the right spirit. We have to do it with the power of God. Or anything that we're trying to do is going to fail. I think he, in, in a lot of the ways, uh, Earl Jessup, as he's writing this, described exactly what we're trying to accomplish in our church. We don't have a lot of connections. We don't have a lot of people in. We don't have a lot of churches that we fellowship with and things like that. Because we don't have time to, to focus on that as much as we have to focus on what God is trying to do here. What God wants to do in us what God wants to do through us. He's given us the responsibility to influence and impact this area for the cause of Christ. And if all we're doing is worried about what everybody else is doing around us, then we're going to miss out on that. And I don't want to miss it. God's doing great things here. And, and, and not, just, not just growing in numbers. I believe that a lot of, a lot of you are taking great spiritual steps. Don't ever, don't ever stop. Don't ever quit doing that. But the moment... We stop preaching the truths of the Word of God, and the moment we start being soft on sin, and the moment we stop, start caring more about what other people think than what God thinks, is the moment that all of us as a church, whether we grow in numbers or not, are going to backslide, and God cannot bless that. I'd rather be 40 people that God has got a hold of that is doing something for the cause of Christ than be 400 people who don't have God's power. There's a lot of churches that are 400 people that don't have God's power. And they're absolutely worthless in the eyes of God. I'm thankful we have more than 40 people. But let's have people that God can use because we're given over to him and we're more concerned about living lives of holiness in line with him and in line with his word than we care about what everybody else thinks about us, what anybody else is doing, anybody else's growth strategy or whatever else. You know the best, best growth strategy? Go out and win souls for Christ. We don't have a growth strategy here. We're going out and we're trying to win souls for Christ. 
And the more souls you win for Christ, the more people come in and want their lives to be changed, and God will change them. And you're going to grow. And the more you grow, the more you grow spiritually, the more you'll get out there and tell other people about Christ. And the more you tell people about Christ, the more people are going to get saved. And the more people get saved, the more they have to influence other people as well. We don't have to worry about how do you get more people in through the door. I'll tell you how. Give them the gospel. They'll come in. God will bring them here. And that's what our focus ought to be. We're done for tonight, but I'm going I'm to give you one more lesson. Not doesn't have anything to do with this new independent Baptist movement and all that stuff. One more, kind of just to wrap up everything about the Baptists and the independent Baptists and all of that stuff. Then we'll move on to a new topic. But let's pray, and we'll be done. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for what you have given us and the heritage that we do have and for the men who have stood for the truth of the word of God and have stood strong on those things for all those years, many that are gone now who ran their race and no doubt heard you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. God, I pray that you'd help each one of us to run our race in the same way and that our church would not be uh, not, not comparing us to anybody else or with anything else, but only to your standards of holiness and to living the way that you want us to live. God, I pray that you'd be pleased with this church. May we do everything we can to reach souls for the cause of Jesus Christ with the time we have left. Thank you for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.